the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. His ministry was a ministry of conflict, dramatic conflict. Everywhere you turn in, in the life of Elijah, it seems that there are confrontations. The majority of his ministry is confronting someone like Ahab, Jezebel, the false prophets, the soldiers. He is in the midst of conflict most of the time. And we'll never understand his ministry and why it was centered so much around conflict and why it's so dramatic and so strong and so powerful and so forthright and so courageous unless we understand the introduction and the man involved in the introduction. Most of us don't like conflict. In fact, we often do whatever we can to avoid conflict. We can learn a lot from Elijah. He didn't enjoy conflict. In fact, conflict took a lot out of him emotionally. But God taught him that there are confrontations that need to happen, or else the enemy of good and truth will triumph. You have tuned in to Verse by Verse Radio. Our ministry desires to teach the Bible in a systematic way, thus the name, Verse by Verse. Today we are starting an entirely new teaching series about the man in the Old Testament named Elijah. Maybe you don't know very much about him. You may want to get your Bible out if you can and follow along in the book of 1 Kings. There are so many lessons to learn from the characters found in the Bible, even if they lived in a different time and a different place. Our Bible teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He and all the folks at the church would love to have you come and visit at one of the services. You can find directions and service times at the church website, lakesidechapel, all one word, dot com. Now, here's Pastor Steve with today's introductory message on Elijah. When you've taken two years out of your life, as we have, to gaze upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've studied John's gospel, it may seem at first like a step down to study any other person in the Bible, but it's really not. Because much of the Bible is written in biographical form, especially the Old Testament. Much of it. And there's a reason for that. The Holy Spirit loves to teach truth in terms of life. God knows that we often learn best when we can see biblical principles lived out in the lives of frail men and frail women. People whose lives are open to us through the pages of Scripture. You know, we need... The New Testament epistles. We need to see that. We need to see uh, the flow of logic. We need to see doctrine in logical form because the human mind thinks that way. But we also need to see these truths fleshed out in the lives of great men and women of God. We need models. We need truth in action. And that's what Bible characters do. Bible characters illustrate to us the great doctrinal portions of Scripture. See, we can relate to their struggles, can't we? We relate to the struggles that they have. We, we see their, their victories and they give us hope and they give us encouragement because if they can have victory, then we can have victory. 
And we see their deepest defeats, and they serve as warnings to us. What Christian isn't thrilled as he studies the life of, of Abraham and sees this great man of faith, and we learn the great truths of trust and obedience. We study Moses, and we see leadership in action. We see a frail man, but we see a leader amongst men. We look at Daniel, and we see a man of integrity who purposed in his heart that he would not sin against God. We study the New Testament. We see Paul as he goes through his, his missionary journeys, and we see the model of courage and boldness. See, in their experiences, we see ourselves. We discern the reflection of our own walk with God, and we see doctrine lived out. We have to have that doctrine, but we've got to see it modeled in men and women. There's one man of God that some of us have a hard time relating to. And I'm referring to the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And that's who we're going to be studying for the next few weeks, the Lord willing, a few months. I never know how long. Many people aren't familiar with Elijah, and they should be. And maybe you don't know this, but he is mentioned in the New Testament 30 times. 30 times. In fact, he's mentioned more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament prophet. And that includes Moses, and that includes David, and that includes Daniel, Elijah, is mentioned more than any other Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. Why don't more Christians know about Elijah? And why, do we, uh, why can't we relate to him very, very much, very well? Because we tend to view him as above humans, as sort of a superhuman being who we just can't relate to. How do you relate to a, to a person whose biographical sketch reads like this? He came upon the scene out of nowhere... He prayed and there was no rain in Israel for three years. He was supernaturally fed by some ravens beside, a, beside a, a drying brook. He once raised the dead son of a widow. He prayed down fire from heaven to convince some false prophets that Jehovah lives. And then he killed these prophets. and There were hundreds of them. He called down fire to destroy two companies of soldiers sent to arrest him. He parted the Jordan River. And when he was through with his ministry, he was carried into heaven without dying. But it wasn't over because nearly... A thousand years later, he came back to earth and he visited the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, you understand why people have a problem relating to that. I mean, some of us can't even swim, let alone part the Jordan River. How do you relate to a person like that? In fact, his life was so remarkable. So many Jewish legends have arisen about Elijah. One in particular says that he was an angel, not a man, because man can, couldn't do things like this. And in Jewish folklore and, and, and uh, thinking and tradition, there are so many legends about him just because of this very reason. But the truth of the matter is, is that Elijah lived a very supernatural life, but he was a very normal man. He was just a man. In fact, God makes it very plain and, and really makes it very clear to us that he wants us to know that Elijah was just a man. And I want you to turn your Bibles to James Chapter 5. James chapter 5. One of the places that Elijah is mentioned in the New Testament is James 5. Now, James is writing primarily to Jewish people, Jewish believers in the Lord. And so they would be very much familiar with Elijah and probably were familiar with the legends that had arisen about Elijah. And James is telling them about prayer, about fervent prayer, the prayer of faith. And in verse 17 of chapter 5, actually the end of verse 16, he says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he says, 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It did not rain and so forth. We don't need to look at that now. We'll look at that later. But the point is that he's saying is, look, when God calls us to pray incredible things, I want you to know that Elijah is a model. And don't think because Elijah is the model that you can't attain to it. Elijah was just like you. In the King James Version, it says a man of like passions. And that can be misleading if you don't understand what the Greek language says. Like passions does not mean that Elijah was a passionate type of man. It doesn't mean that he was easily irritated. It doesn't mean that he had a fiery temperament, though he may have. But that's not what this means. The word in in the Greek language is made up of two words. Part of it is similar, and the other part is feelings. Similar feelings. Elijah was a man who went through life with the same feelings that you and I do. He was a man just like us. In fact, this word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it is found in Acts chapter 14, verse 15, when Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journey, and some Gentile pagans said, when they saw the miracles they did, they said, the gods have come down. Zeus is here. And Paul said, no, we're men just like you. Men with like feelings. See, Elijah was made of the same stuff as you and I. That's a popular term today, stuff. I don't know what it means, but you, you get the, the, uh, the thought there. He was made of the same stuff as you and I are made of. He wasn't a superhuman being. He wasn't an angel. He had his problems. He had his human frailties. And we can relate to him. He ran away in fear from a woman. Can you relate to that, men? Let me see a show of hands. No, you don't have to. We'll see more about that in weeks to come as we, as we study about him and Jezebel. And he did run away in fear. And we can't excuse Elijah. He asked God to take his life when things got too much for him. Thank God for unanswered prayer. That's right. He asked God to take his life. He also had a pity party. He said, Lord, I've been, I've been jealous of you. I'm the only one. God said, no, you're not. You're not the only one. There's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But you see, he had a pity party, and he invited the Lord to join him. You see, he, he, he fought depression, loneliness, fear. The man was just like us. You see, what made Elijah unique wasn't his nature, but his God. His God. Elijah had a wonderful relationship with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. Now, we're not going to learn from this study about how to do supernatural miracles. Elijah was unique. There's only a very few times, three or four times, I think four times in the Word of God where, where God used such unique miracles. The time of Moses to convince the Jewish people and Pharaoh that Moses was God's man of the hour. The time of Elijah and Elisha as Israel followed Baal and not Jehovah and they needed miracles to convince them. The time of the Lord Jesus Christ, who people around him needed to be convinced that he was the Messiah. And the apostolic age, where men like Paul and Peter and others did miracles to convince people that they were true messengers. But once the word of God has come, we don't, we don't need those. So the point I'm saying is we're not going to learn from Elijah's life how to, how to part the seas and how to call down fire. We won't learn that. But out of his relationship with the Lord comes lessons to us about such important areas as faith and courage and conviction, and obedience, and prayer, and belief in the Word of God. This is what we want to zero in on, and this is what the Spirit of God would teach us. 
There's a saying that goes like this, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I'm sure that's, that's true, but you can give him some salt and make him thirsty. Elijah is God's salt to us to make us thirsty for the righteousness that's evidenced by his life. And we can learn from his righteousness and we can learn from, from his failures. Now this morning, I want us to meet that prophet. I want us to get to know him. And as we begin to understand, as he's introduced to us, you'll understand basically the rest of his ministry. For me, this is something special. Sure, and trust in, by the Spirit of God, it will be special for you. But for me, it's something very special because... As a young boy growing up in a Jewish family, we would celebrate Passover every year. We'd have the Passover Seder, which is the Passover uh, supper, the dinner. And one of my responsibilities uh, at the Passover Seder was to go to the door of our home. And I would open it up, our apartments in New York. I can recall this very vividly. Opening the door. Why did I do that? Because my parents set a place for Elijah. There was a cup of wine for Elijah. There was a place for him. He was to join us. And I would open the door and let Elijah in. Why? Why did Jewish people do that? Because we know from Malachi that Elijah must come before the Lord returns. We believe that's true. I mean, we know that's true. And we believe that in the book of Revelation, he will be one of the witnesses that God sends during the tribulation. Probably Elijah and Moses will come. But I opened that door Year after year. You see, the rabbi said that Messiah is most likely to come on the night of Passover. And since we knew that Elijah had to come before him, we would have a place for Elijah. And every year as I opened that door, it was the same thing. He wasn't there. He was never there. You see, for me, it's a special treat to finally meet Elijah. Not by opening an apartment door, but by opening up the word of God and seeing what God says about him. And meeting him on the pages of scripture, which is the only place to really meet him. So I invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings comes in your Bible after 1 and 2 Samuel and before 2 Kings and then Chronicles, 1 and 2 Chronicles. It's probably an unread portion of your Bibles as it is in my Bible. The Gospel of John is quite, uh, not exactly marked, but quite worn in my Bibles and I'm sure in yours, but 1 Kings is really not. It needs to be. And we're going to look at one verse this morning, and then we'll see the context of that verse. And the one verse in which we're introduced to Elijah is verse 1 of chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. With this verse, we are introduced to Elijah. Now, if you've ever read through 1 Kings, uh, you would realize that there is an abruptness to this introduction. It is unlike any that I know of in the Word of God. In fact, when I, when I read it, my first thought was, where did he come from? There must be some other place in Kings that introduces him. Surely the Lord would introduce the great prophet Elijah in such a, an abrupt way. But he does. One scholar says this, like a meteor suddenly flashing across the darkened sky, Elijah appears on the scene without historical backgrounds and without warning. And that's right. There is no warning. His arrival is startling. It's abrupt. It's dramatic. And it's designed by God to be that way. There is a reason for that. 
Because this indicates the character of his ministry. Forceful, powerful, forthright, bold, courageous. His ministry was a ministry of conflict, dramatic conflict. Everywhere you turn in in the life of Elijah, it seems that there are confrontations. There are places where there are, but the majority of his ministry is confronting someone like Ahab, Jezebel, the false prophets, the soldiers. He is in the midst of conflict most of the time. And we'll never understand his ministry and why it was centered so much around conflict and why it's so dramatic and so strong and so powerful and so forthright and so courageous unless we understand the introduction and the man involved in the introduction. I believe the introduction to to Elijah is the key to understanding the rest of his ministry. And so this morning... We're going to lay down the foundation for that understanding. We're going to look at two things, very simple, two things that will introduce to us, two things that will introduce Elijah to us and will pave the way for us to understand the rest of his life and ministry. We're going to look, first of all, at the source of his conflicts. Why was this man always confronting people? Why was there a conflict? Why is his ministry centered around conflict? Did he look for conflict? Was he a troublemaker? What, did he go looking for these things? No. But we're going to see the source of his conflicts. And number two, we're going to see the secret of his courage. He didn't run from these conflicts. He met them head on. And we're going to learn lessons about courage, the secret of his courage. First of all, let's look at the source of his conflicts. You can't understand Elijah's ministry nor his life unless you first understand the times in which he lived. There is a tendency for us to go immediately into the text There's a tendency for Bible teachers to go immediately into the text, and you'll not understand the word of God and the ministry of Elijah unless you understand the desperate times in which he lived. He didn't look for conflicts, but conflicts came because of the ungodliness of the day in which Elijah lived. He lived during one of Israel's darkest hours, one of the darkest. After Solomon died, the kingdom was divided. It split into two parts. There was the southern kingdom under a man named... Rehoboam, and this was called Judah. And when you see in your Old Testament, Judah, from this time forth, from Solomon's time forth, you know that it is the southern kingdom under Rehoboam, Judah. But there was the northern kingdom under Jeroboam called Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom. Elijah lived and ministered in the northern kingdom called Israel. Now, every one of the kings of Israel was wicked and was evil. And it was all started by Jeroboam. And what did he do? And I'm not going to have you turn back there, but it would be good for you to read 1 Kings, at least up to chapter 17 and get the background of this. Jeroboam was really paranoid in his ministry. The kingdom had split. He was in the north. Rehoboam was in the south. They didn't get along. There was conflict. He didn't want the Jewish people of his kingdom going down south to Jerusalem in Judah, in Judea. Didn't want them going down during the festivals, during the feasts. So what he did is he established in two cities of his area, he established golden calves. He set them up, altars and golden calves to worship them. He set up idolatry in Israel. They were to worship two calves of gold. Not only that, he corrupted the priesthood. 
And from there on in, there was sin in Israel. Every successive king was rotten. In that line, there was a drunkard, there was a murderer, they were guilty of treason. It was just wickedness in Israel. They worshipped golden calves, the priesthood was corrupted. It was a terrible day in Israel. The king under which Elijah ministered was the worst of all of them. His name was Ahab. And I invite you to look in chapter 16, verses 29 through 30. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. This fellow was absolutely the worst. In fact, if you've ever had the privilege of listening to the famous Southern Baptist preacher R.G. Lee, his message, which is very well known, called Payday Someday, R.G. Lee calls Ahab a vile toad of a man who squatted upon the throne of Israel. That's how wicked this man was. There is no language that fits the, the wickedness of this man. Why? Why was he worse than the other kings? Well, look at verse 31 and following. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebai, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah, thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Why was he so bad? Listen, the other kings were real bad. They worshipped golden calves. But Ahab went beyond that. The Bible says it was a trivial thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, he wasn't satisfied with that sin, with calf worship and the corruption of the priesthood. He set up Baal worship. And why did he do that? Because he went and married a non-Israelite woman named Jezebel. Forbidden by God. And the other kings didn't do that. At least they married Jewish women. But Ahab, and probably, which was, probably what it was was a political move, married Jezebel. Jezebel was a jealous worshiper of the false god Baal, the god of, of the sun and the god of, of the crops and the god of anything that is reproductive in nature as far as vegetation and things like that are concerned. And when she married Ahab, she was determined that Jehovah must die. She came into Israel and she saw that Israel worshipped the one true God and she said, I'm going to substitute, I'm going to kill Jehovah and I'm going to set up Baal worship here. And Ahab went right along with her and they established that the official form of religion in Israel was Baal worship. Her goal was to rid God's ancient people of their devotion to Jehovah and replace him with Baal. We sit here and think, how could an entire nation forsake its religious foundations and worship false gods represented by idols? You can't just blame the leaders, but wicked leaders can take an entire nation down a path of unrighteousness in one generation. 
Nobody seems to take a stand against what happens. I'm afraid we are seeing the same thing around us every day. Even Christians don't say anything as we see a God-honoring worldview replaced by a humanistic and even atheistic approach. That's why we need to learn from Elijah who stood up and said, That's far enough. Thanks for tuning in today. Try to follow this entire series. Don't worry if you have to miss a message along the way. You can find these messages and many others on our website, versebyverseradio.org. They are available to download or to listen to via podcast right there on the website. Other resources are also available. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to call us at 727-239-0306. We could use your help if you are able to send in a financial gift toward the radio ministry. You can give online, over the phone, or you can write us at Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box, <clears throat> P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. We depend on the gifts of our faithful partners to keep this ministry going forward. We'll look forward to sharing together again next time. For Pastor Steve and the staff, this is Jerry Pruden thanking you for joining us on Verse by Verse. Weekday mornings at 9. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.